Hi, everyone, and thank you for giving us your time today. I'm Ian Hamilton, and in case you're new here, I'm recording this from our studio in virtual reality. I'm wearing Quest 2 with hand tracking and meta avatars, and I'm joined by my co-host, David Heaney. I'm in the United States. He lives on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, and we have never met in the physical world. Each week, though, we come together into the studio to talk about the next generation of personal computing. We are the show on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific in front of a live YouTube audience, and VR Download is available for listening on every major podcast platform. Heaney, what do we have today? So we've got a lot to talk about. We didn't have a show last week. We're going to talk about a startup that says they're going to launch a Kickstarter for a Valve Index wireless adapter. We're going to talk about Magic Leap 2, the AR headset, its launch date and price that was released. We're going to talk about a supply chain analyst's claim that Apple will release a more affordable headset in 2025 alongside its second generation model. We'll talk about the finding that Project Cambria, Meta's high-end upcoming headset, is likely to be called Quest Pro. And finally, we will talk about the biggest news of all, the removal of the Facebook account requirement to use Meta headsets that is coming in August. Yeah, let's get started off with that first topic here because it kind of represents a much-needed feature from last generation's VR, basically. So this is startup Nofio. I don't know how it's pronounced, but they're going to launch a Kickstarter. They're planning to launch a Kickstarter to make the Valve Index wireless. Can you walk us through how this would work, Ini? Yeah, so this is essentially a wireless adapter, but unlike the wireless adapter we saw with the HTC Vive, this is actually using regular Wi-Fi. Well, that's not quite accurate. It's using the new 6 gigahertz band of Wi-Fi. Instead of using that 60 gigahertz band that was very, very expensive and required a direct line of sight and a huge, massive transmitter, this is using similar tech to how virtual desktop and Airlink works, except where those operate on the current 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi spectrum. This one operates on 6 gigahertz, which we expect Quest Pro might have, or maybe Quest 3, and which the, the HTC Vive Focus 3 already uses their standalone headset. So this is going to be shipped, they claim, in quarter one of next year. Though with all Kickstarters, you should consider that as an aspiration and not a promise. And they do not have a final price yet, but they say it should be around $450. That is a lot of money for this. But if you're someone who has an index and you're willing to pay that amount of money and you just wish that your index was wireless, that's the market for this. Daniel Leeper saying, what's the max running temperature for the Quest? Because I think I might blow up if I use it right now. And we were just joking, Heaney. It's actually, we've got such a multinational, international team here. Harry is over there in Australia in winter with very cold temperatures. And then Heaney, you're in the Northern Hemisphere along with me. And my temperatures are over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is in Celsius. Heaney, what is it? I, I don't know. I don't know how to convert Fahrenheit to Celsius. But yeah, in the UK, we've just recorded the, the highest ever temperature. Not not where I am, but over near London, it's the highest ever temperature. Where I am, it's something like the second or third highest temperature we've ever recorded. So yes, I, I sympathize, Daniel. Right now in this quest to I am roasting, I have the fan blaring in the corner of my room, which I hope you all can't hear. Yeah, I've got the same thing. I've closed up every air conditioning vent in my apartment except for the one in my VR place uh, just to try to save a few dollars, hopefully. I don't know, maybe actually be making it worse because the 
because of the way the air works. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what the bill comes out at next month. Uh, it's one of those long-term things. Air conditioning is so silly to me. Like I put out this question on Twitter. It's out there on our blog post. But what does a world look like with hundreds of millions of VR users? And you think about those summer months with hundreds of millions of people turning on their AC to uh, enjoy a VR headset that's producing so much heat next to their face. It's going to be significant in the long term. One of the things I'm, I'm really looking forward to with Quest Pro is that fact that the facial interface will be optional. So you can just kind of take it off. And yes, you're going to use that peripheral vision. But when it just comes to productivity and communication apps like we're doing now, it's not the end of the world. I, w- I would definitely trade off having the real world's peripheral vision for the ability to not sweat so much. A few comments on the, the Nofio. So yeah, Onakazi, yeah, like, like I said, this is a, you know, here's the transmitter and here's the receiver. This isn't something that you have to use your own router for. This is not that at all. This is a full package of hardware that you put this one, you plug this into your computer, you attach this to your index and it is wireless. And like you said, Onakazi, yeah, it is Wi-Fi 6E, which is the name for the six gigahertz spectrum of Wi-Fi. And uh, James O'Loughlin was just kind of asking, saying that he's curious of the the quality. I, I already think that if you're on something like virtual desktop or Airlink and you have a high-end router and you're, you have the bit rate high enough, you're going to really struggle to see compression artifacts. So when you have this even higher bandwidth, Wi-Fi 6E, I, I think we're going to soon be at the point where you don't see compression artifacts. And I am someone who's very sensitive to that. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of person who still likes to watch uh, 4K Blu-rays over streaming for the compression that I notice. So, you know, a lot of people say they either want uncompressed VR or nothing, but I think you can get to a, a high enough bit rate with compression that you're going to really, really struggle to see that difference. Yeah, are we ready to move on to Magic Leap now? Yep, well, I think we can go to the Magic Leap story now, yep. Yeah, so Magic Leap 2 is going to be available for purchase to the general public in September, starting at $3,299. Heaney, we also got some confirmation of some key specs. We've reported some of these previously, but it's actually on a specifications page officially from Magic Leap now. Can you run us through what those specs are and how this compares to sort of what else is on the market right now or coming soon? So, yeah, I mean, the key spec that has changed here is that they have really increased that vertical field of view. So when it comes to any transparent AR headset like this, the biggest limitation that exists is that that field of view is just so much smaller than what you would see in a virtual reality headset. And yes, it's not as much of a problem because you do see the real world outside of that view. You know, you, you see augmented objects in a small rectangle in front of you, and then you see the real world. But still, it means that objects don't really look like they're there because you have to pan your head around to see them all. And I'll bring up a graph now that we made back when it was shown to just show you how much of an improvement that field of view is. You can see here uh, in the center, the two rectangles here are the original Magic Leap and the HoloLens two which are very very similar on the grand scheme of things and then you see what magic leap 2 has done here it's only a very very marginal increase in the the width of the field of view but a dramatic increase in how tall it is so when you get closer to objects instead of having to look up and down to be able to see them they will stay within your view although you still will have to look side to side but that's a bit more of a natural head movement than kind of panning up and down and for comparison here you see the the links r1 headset which is launching in the coming months which is a pass-through headset so it uses the same kind of display system as vr and this is the same kind of field of view you'd be used to in a, in a typical average vr headset 
and it passes through the view from a color camera instead of being a, a transparent optic like these AR headsets. Interesting, and I'm seeing it in our comments talked about this this differentiating feature on Magic Leap 2, which is dimming the whole view so that it basically shows less of the real physical world and increases the sort of solidness of your virtual augmented content that's floating in the space in front of you. And I love this chart that you made, Heaney, that shows how much larger pass-through AR is going to be when provided by a VR headset because we, we don't know the final field of view of Quest Pro. We don't know where they're going to land, but it's probably going to be on par with some of the things we've seen before. And it, it'll be this this giant leap in field of view compared to uh, what we're seeing out of current AR gear. Uh, I'm using, uh, someone asked in our comments previously about this, uh, I found my missing Ray-Ban story sunglasses, the, the glasses had slipped into a pocket in my car, and I found them. And those are uh, very shaded glasses, right? I'm only going to use them when I'm basically going outdoors. I went out and bought uh, another pair of the glasses that have the transitions lenses that slowly go more opaque after you've exposed them to, to light outside. And it's amazing to me, Heaney, that like we are going to have a path here with AR where prescription and shading of the lenses are going to be pretty big features that are, are going to hit over the successive generations. But we're still talking about a $3,000 product in terms of this device, and it even needs a tethered pack worn on your side. Like the path to us getting this as a consumer product is still really long, isn't it, Heaney? Yeah, it's just fundamentally a lot more expensive to deliver a see through. AR experience compared to a pass-through mixed reality experience. So not only do you get this lower, lower field of view and these issues with the optics that, yes, Magic Leap 2 works around with its new kind of uh, global and segmented dimming system, but you're still not going to get that same image quality that you're going to get through a pass-through. But not only do you get these problems, but it's you know almost 10 times the price. That's an exaggeration. Maybe about five or six times the price. So there is a long and hard path from that for how this is going to somehow arrive in the consumer AR glasses that we all want. And in the meantime, it really is this enterprise use case that Magic Leap are going to be focused on. Yes, technically they're selling it to anyone, but I, I would expect very few general public consumers are going to be purchasing a $3,300 headset that doesn't have you know a lot of the apps that they really would want to be using it and they, that they would have to attach a, a compute puck like this. Obviously, you get a lot of computing power in that puck, but again, in a world where we have products like Lynx and Quest Pro and eventually the Apple headset arriving, this is going to remain an enterprise. And one of the main reasons for that is that there are situations where for safety critical reasons, you cannot have a pass-through headset because if a pass-through headset runs out of battery or fails, you're in darkness. That's what you see, complete darkness. If this fails, it's just a pair of glasses that doesn't have any augmentation at least you can still see the real world so i think over time the the use cases for which this is going to be usable are going to get lesser and lesser as these pass-through headsets improve until they can finally deliver on the form factor and field of view that we hope for from transparent systems yeah, and there is a pretty large gap there right between what is it 70 degrees and 100 to 110 right uh as we understand it Heaney, i think you know i don't know 
we'd have to go deep into the literature to really find where the the level of presence is. But as I understand it, it's around 70 degrees, right? And then we're at 100 uh, to 110 with modern VR. It feels very immersive. And then there's so many people out there that say it needs to get even wider than that uh, for us to move forward. It's around 80, but that's for presence in the sense that your brain feels like you're in a different place. That's important for VR, but for AR, it's just a matter of... It's just a matter of practicality and usability. It's the fact that you you have to keep objects further and further away if the field of view is narrow. Because if you have something close to you, then you'll have to constantly be panning your head around to actually see it because it's only in such a small area of your field of view. To get the the really important and interesting use cases of AR where you have this kind of these near field holograms that are, you know, attached to your arm and your hand that you can interact with, we really need a much wider field of view than this. But magically Paz you know, take, is going to take a huge stride here. And that field of view is going to be best in class. This is going to be, you know, beyond any other transparent AR headset that is actually on the market, especially when it comes to the height of the field of view. So uh, for people that haven't sort of been following the story at Magic Leap, at least some of the backstory here is Magic Leap is a shell of the former company that was. Now that's that's kind of a rough way to refer to it because it's just a more focused version of the company that it was. But they have laid off a significant number of people to focus on a fewer projects than everything under the sun they were doing before. Uh, but HoloLens, Microsoft's uh, effort, they've restructured over there at Microsoft. And there's a new new plan over there for AR and VR that we haven't really gotten a full picture of yet out of Microsoft, but every expectation here is that uh, Magic Leap is kind of, uh, you know, is, are they pose, are they are they set up to succeed where Magic Leap in the past really wasn't? Uh, if it's going to take a couple more years for AR to mature, can they, you know, still have a, a, a great exit uh, and sell off to some major company out there? Or are is it possible for them to actually find a, a profit center here with Magic Leap 2 and, and grow on their own? Well, they can certainly find a sustainable business, but not to the scope of what they originally had planned for. As, as we all know, when Magic Leap 1 came out, its primary focus was on consumers. The apps they were talking about were, you know, Spotify and having your web browser in your room and the games that they were showing. And from the reports that we saw over time from outlets like The Information, it turned out that, you know, consumers just don't want to spend two or three thousand dollars for this technology yet it's nowhere near ready to charge those kind of prices it just does not offer that kind of value at scale but what they discovered just like microsoft discovered with hololens is that there are plenty of businesses that really do find this technology useful and will easily pay that amount of money so they can continue to to, uh, build a business in the same space that hololens does but it's the question is, will they get to a point where they can then take this and expand to consumers? Both companies have said yes, that that is their end goal. But how long is that going to take? And do they really have the resources to take on the giants? Does Magic Leap have the resources to take on the giants? Or as you say, will they be acquired by someone like Amazon or Google over time? Yeah, and I'm seeing James asking the question, what's the field of view of Tilt 5? And that is returning to why we why I personally think Tilt 5 is one of the most interesting AR projects to watch because it does achieve a field of view that, as I understand it, is on par with current VR headsets. Uh, 
while in a very specific uh, space, right? Wherever you have set up their retro reflective board, you can see content going down into that board in a in a fairly wide field of view while also getting that periphery uh, out the side of the glasses that we were talking about earlier. And it, it does make Tilt 5 one of the more interesting projects to watch in AR right now uh, for me personally, Heaney. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, though, it's just in such a very specific narrow use case you can't really compare it to general purpose anywhere ar when it's really just set on a specific table that you've set up for it but obviously what it does well is that it it says the tech isn't ready for general purpose or at least this is tilt five's argument so we're going to build a narrow use case and um you know someone was saying here i think zach you're kind of saying that one of the advantages of the hololens and magic leap approaches that you get full peripheral vision but you know when it comes to links and quest pro from what we've seen they will be able to be used without the facial interface so you actually will still get that peripheral vision although that's going to be an odd experience to see you know in a camera pass-through view of the world in about 90 degrees every field of view and then a real view and in, in your peripheral that'll be a kind of odd visual experience i wonder how the eye will adapt to that if you're kind of looking down or to the side yeah, I, it's going to be have to. We're going to have to revisit this discussion with each new uh, set of headsets because I, I totally understand some of the discussion out there. Uh, James saying also, I swear the use of Magic Leap 2's field of view is not a numbers game when comparing to VR. There are different experiences. I understand that. I, I, I but my problem is in Magic Leap One. I remember doing a very specific demo of their robots game that they were they spent a lot uh developing and they opened up a portal on the other side of the room and it's similar to sort of the distance you have in here in this room heaney so you've got a brick wall over there behind you and in this particular demo at that distance the portal on the wall opened from almost the floor to the ceiling and my brain accepted that that portal was whole while I was staring at it. But the moment I let my head move anywhere into the periphery, I start seeing the cutoff of that portal. And it is a huge immersion breaker in a, in a different way than field of view breaks your immersion in a VR headset. So I, I totally understand that they're uncomparable, but like a lot of people will look at that field of view in the original, in these AR headsets and say, I get used to it over time. But I still think it's it's a lot like the situation with comfort in a VR headset where you get sick after, you know, some people get sick from artificial locomotion. Other, people's can, other people can handle it. I think the same is true of field of view in an AR headset where maybe you can get used to it, but some people just cannot, I don't think. I, I think in a home context as well, it depends on the size of your home. If you're in a big, you know, American or Australian or Canadian home where you can position these holograms far enough away that they, they do stay within your field of view, great. But in many European or Japanese homes, you just don't have that amount of space. So the holograms have to be so much closer to you. And because you have that narrow field of view, it's just never going to be at the position where you can see the whole hologram and it just breaks the illusion. Yeah, but I, I think what I think James is getting, I, I can't see the top of the whole of his comment here, but we are approaching in these next generations of headsets, blurrier lines, right? When Magic Leap 2 can dim your environment and resemble more of a VR headset and the pass through on a VR headset is so much better as well as all of these devices working to improve their field of view. Some of these trade-offs are going to change in this next generation. So Apple 
seems to be planning a more affordable model alongside its second-generation headset in the year 2025, according to a prominent research analyst. Heaney, we cover Apple regularly, and I I joked today in, in one of my blog posts that next year is the year that Apple will launch its headset is almost as an old an idea as this year being the year of VR. We know that Apple is targeting next year for its first-generation headset. They've obviously got the heat issues that we reported in the past. Why would we expect this to actually come through in the year 2025 and not, you know, any other year? So yeah, this is this news is from the supply chain analyst Ming Chi Kuo, who's from TF International Securities. He's someone who we often report on his claims about the industry because he has a good track record of predicting Apple's moves years in advance, and that's been something he's been doing for five years. And you know, for people wondering how how is it possible for someone to predict a company's moves? A supply chain analyst means that he has sources in the companies that produce the parts that go into Apple's products. So when Apple is starting to plan out mass production of these products, they have to go to these suppliers and put in an order for, you know, whatever million units. And from that, you can notice if you are in touch with these sort of supply chain uh, areas, you can notice where these parts are coming from, where they're going to. And it, over time, you get an idea of, well, if this part's going into this product, that means Apple is building XYZ. He is one of the people who has been saying for a while now that Apple is on the cusp of launching a premium headset for mixed reality and virtual reality. Uh, Bloomberg has also been saying that, as well as the information. And that headset is expected to launch next year. And yes, people have been saying Apple's headset is coming next year for 10 years, but you know, I want to point out that I've been one of the people who's constantly been pushing back on that and saying, no, that's not true. There's no evidence for that. But this time it really is true. The evidence is overwhelming that Apple is planning to release a headset next year in 2023. And the Sources from the information and Bloomberg suggest that that headset will be priced somewhere between $2,000 and $3,000. But Quo's new report claims that in the second generation, Apple will, instead of releasing one expensive product, will release an expensive one and a more affordable one. More affordable is the direct quote here. There was not a specific price put there. So if this is the 2000 to 3000 tier, could that more affordable model be, in Apple terms, somewhere around $1,000? That seems kind of likely to me. And this this is supposed to happen in 2025. So 2023, you get a single first-gen model. And 2025, you get a high-end and a more affordable model, according to Quill. Yeah, the discussion in the comments is really en- encompassing really everything that that is true out there with Apple conjecture, right? It's it's a lot of people discussing anything Apple equates to page views. So there's kind of always reason to discuss what Apple is working on. Obviously, it affects a lot of people, right? There's so many millions of people in the Apple ecosystem. There is a built-in audience there to go out and buy whatever devices they release next. But there's just so many people that are tired of this conjecture, multi-year conjecture that has been going on there, and I totally get it. But Heaney, I, I am I have started to use, I saw one question in there, what features would we expect out of an Apple device? And I have actually started using some 
AR features. Like I, I, I can't remember if I talked about this previously on the show, but there is a human detection feature in the AR kit that uh, you can pull out the measure app and measure the height of someone else. And it, it happens uh, completely automatically. Like I, I pointed the camera uh, at family members and it just pops up there this tall and shows a line right up, right, right above their head. And it's exactly the, the way it embedded itself into my behavior is I started using it the same way you would use uh, a pencil drawing on a wall to mark the measure of, of a family member of growing over time, right? And most people don't live in houses where they can mark on the walls, right? They rent. Uh, AR instantly took over this 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 aspect of, of recording or memory keeping for me where I can just take a screenshot, record how tall a family member is, and then uh, file that away and show it over time. And it's just an interesting little... It, it's it's embedded itself in my life in the same way that uh, the Amazon feature is there where you can click the camera button and see an object in your space before you actually buy it. It's something I will use very occasionally, but it's still pretty slick when you actually need to go and use it. When that stuff moves inside of a headset, it's going to be night and day how useful and constant we'll do it. And it was one of the things we were talking about earlier where field of view and stuff uh is a, is an issue i don't want to hang screens on my wall with an ar headset heaney uh unless i really believe that it's hanging there most of the time if i can look at the screen out of the corner of my eye as well as when i'm looking directly on it that's going to be a big deal and i don't think i can do that with the ar headsets heaney but with the next generation of vr headsets that have pass through mode I do believe I can start hanging little panes of information all over the place and leave them there for longer and use them there for longer. And and that's going to be a, a really, really big path, I think, for for VR with AR features in the long term. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of dilemma, though, because while these headsets are going to be the ones that are capable of doing that in a very compelling way that you know you can still see it in your peripheral vision, the glasses are going to be the product that you need to wait for it for that to really be useful because you're not going to have the headset on all day. You're going to use it for, you know, specific bursts in the same way you might use a console or a laptop. Whereas the promise of the glasses that will eventually come in the second half of this decade is that you wear them all day, just like you have a smartphone and just like you have your smartphone notes, you can, as you say, have your smartphone content pinned um you know just to respond to a few people that seem to be asking you know is there any actual direct evidence from apple that this is coming uh yes we have the reality os operating system that this thing will run ros apple's new operating system has been spotted in the app store upload logs it was spotted in an apple github repository and it was trademarked by an apple shell company quite recently you also have uh, executives like Tim Cook starting to give the tiniest little hints when they're asking the interviews instead of saying, you know, we don't talk about future product plans or I don't know what you're talking about. They'll now say, you know, keep an eye out and look at what we're kind of coming for in the future. And they give little subtle hints that there is something coming along. You also have quite detailed reports from Bloomberg, which again, this isn't first party, but you have reports of Apple assigning staffers to really ramp up the production of this operating system and to port their current apps like FaceTime and Maps and Notes to this operating system. So 
Uh, you also have the report from Bloomberg that Apple has actually shown this headset recently to the board of directors in kind of one of those final approval steps, which happens at Apple before a product would a new product would go into mass production. Uh, so yeah, if I would be absolutely shocked if this product, the first generation, doesn't arrive next year. But as this new news kind of highlights, at two to three thousand dollars, it's not going to change the industry. It will maybe show what the future of the industry can be. And if Apple can produce a software experience that goes so far beyond what Meta has, it can you know light a fire behind Meta and maybe lead to other competitors to jump in, just like every time Apple launches into a new product category. But we'll really need a more affordable product to get the market to really change. It needs to get get to at most a thousand dollars to make a real impact, I think. Aussie mentioning that what I'm talking about is ambient computing. And yeah, that is the term applied to this concept that I'm talking about. And I, I really do think that the long-term goal for all of these major companies is that, right? Everything we talk about from Internet of Things and the connected devices in your home to just the giant leaps being made in computer vision based on, you know, just recognizing things on very low power systems to what you can do when you've got a very high power system with computer vision is extraordinary. If you're willing to accept the discomfort of, you know, letting a company into your home and scanning your surroundings on an ongoing basis, there are a lot of things in your day that could be made easier with that sort of ambient computing. I've talked about it like, uh, if you've got a, a computer vision looking inside your fridge, you can know when you can get alerts or reminders when your food is going stale. Uh, but it's a long way to get that kind of tracking or even to get that level of consumer comfort with that level of tracking. Yeah. And I just kind of want to reiterate that I think those are going to be the use cases that really happen with glasses in the second half of the decade that you're wearing when you're walking into the kitchen. But I think it's very likely that this product is going to be used in much the same context as a VR headset today. You'll use it in a specific play space, either seated at some sort of desk or uh, standing in like an area of your living room. And it'll be used for these kind of uh, 30 to minute to two hour long bursts and then kind of put back in the box. It's, it's unlikely you're going to walk around your house and kind of go into your fridge with this thing on. Although if the pasture is good enough, you could do it, but it doesn't seem like the focus of a product like this. It seems like it's more, it's more akin to your laptop or your tablet than your smartphone. I, I get that, but there's, there's just these, these underpinnings that have been layered into the iOS software layer, like text recognition on every photo, as well as what the measuring stuff, as well as room plan, where you can uh, scan your surroundings in some of the same way that Guardian scans your surroundings, uh, or, or the, the new features that we've seen inside uh, Quest OS uh, let you set up a room. Those are things getting layered into iOS, and we haven't seen what those, you know, how you build that into a workflow. I saw a question earlier asking, "What is it? What do I mean by screens?" We've talked about this in various formats, and we also we also have uh, Guy Godin in our comments from time to time, who is the creator of Virtual Desktop. He needs just virtual floating rectangular screens is a cornerstone feature of all AR and VR headsets going forward, right, Heaney? 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's what we expect one of the main use cases of both Quest Pro and of this Apple headset to be, as we've said on this show before, where if you're on the go, instead of having to hunch over this little 13-inch screen attached to a keyboard, you just have the keyboard and you look up, you're not hunched over, and you have as you have huge triple or quadruple or even six monitors in front of you that you can position arbitrarily and use your hands to just pull in when you need. And that means that instead of having to be kind of fixed to these monitors that you upgrade every year for, you know, between $200 and $1,000 each, depending on what kind of monitor you want, your workspace becomes a piece of software in the same sense that smartphones have made a lot of the previous hardware devices that we used software. The idea of screens themselves will over time become software. And when we get to a point where glasses are, are mainstream and almost everyone has them, which you know is likely to not happen until at least the next decade, maybe even in the 2040s, you can get to the point where television screens are essentially obsolete because why would you purchase a $2,000 slab of glass when you can put a 200-inch screen on any surface you want in the entire world? Yeah, and if you sort of begin there as considering like that's that's table stakes almost for the next generation of computing, uh, how does Apple replace some of those computing tasks from your current devices using those virtual monitors and that's where i'm getting at with like text recognition right i want i want to be able to select this text that's on a on a printed piece of paper and then manipulate it digitally and do things with it whether it be send it out or yeah do something else with it uh there's just whole new layers of computing that happen and we just haven't seen some of these fundamental apps of just around your house. Like, Heaney, I've joked with you in this studio how, how simple and useful it would be to know what time it is at a glance for you. I've had to internalize over the years here that there is an eight-hour time difference between you and I, and it's actually late at night for you when it's uh, midday for me. A clock on the wall would help me do that. A clock on the wall, similar to uh, Harry Potter's a magical clock that shows where uh, locations are for my family members would be useful to me in VR and AR headsets. And we have to start thinking about like those types of use cases, right? If there's a clock on the wall that I can hang and it shows me uh, whether my uh, family member is at school or on the bus, that would be a really cool, useful feature with you know, ambient computing, AR and VR. There's that executive over at Shopify has said, we're going to be wizards. And what features will wizards want in their headsets? And I think that's what we really have to think about. We ready to move uh, on to the next subject? Yeah, I think we can talk about the Quest Pro. Yeah, we've got several Quest-related stories or meta-related stories here to end the show on. Let us know if you've got any comments and discussion that you want us to answer or address before we end our show. We'll see it. We may not respond to it immediately. We know Project Cambria is very likely going to be called Quest Pro. How do we know this, Heaney? And why did it take us so long to confirm this? Because Quest Pro is not a new sort of name it was uttered by andrew bosworth in an ama session quite a while ago so why do we think this is cambria's name yeah so just for anyone who's not kind of familiar with what we mean by project cambria it is meta's announced not rumored but announced 
next headset that is launching this year. It is not a successor to Quest 2. It is instead a new product line that is high-end. Meta has said it will cost significantly more than $800. And the news this week is that a developer found in the Oculus iOS app a string that referred to this as Meta Quest Pro. And as, as Ian just mentioned, we've heard this product hinted at being called Quest Pro for quite a while. Uh, Meta's current CTO once referred to, uh, to it as that in an Ask Me Anything session. Mark Zuckerberg actually once called it Quest Pro in an interview with CNET, I believe it was. And we also saw uh, in the firmware, if people who looked through the Quest firmware to try and find future features, found this being called Quest Pro all the way back in September, I believe. But because when this was actually announced, they had said, you know, this is not the next Quest. It's not a Quest. It's another product line. People had thought that maybe it would actually get a completely different name. But it turns out that what they mean by a different product line is that instead of calling this Quest 2 Pro, this is just Quest Pro. It's not a variant of Quest 2. It's not a more advanced Quest 2. It is its own separate thing. It's not like a PlayStation 4 Pro. It's like the difference between a MacBook Air and a MacBook Pro, where they are separate product lines. And so the idea then would be that uh, since they've referred to this, you know, as the first in our new line, that eventually down the line, when there's a successor to this, it would be called Quest Pro 2. And that would likely happen when there's a Quest 3 out. So it's not, you know, Quest 3 Pro, it's Quest Pro version two, just like you would then have Quest version three. So that's kind of cleared up a lot of the confusion around naming that we've had over the past year of what this would really be called. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about how long Quest 2 has been on the market. I saw a lot of discussion on Twitter this week about theories there. Uh, Everyone recognizes, I think, that there is a lot of ground for Meta to gain by continuing to evolve their work at the low end, right? So they've gotten to $300 with Quest 2. The original Quest was $400. Oculus Go, prior to both of them, all went all the way down to $200, but it was severely uh, feature-limited, right? It had no computer vision on there, so you couldn't lean around in sixed off, and you had this one little laser pointer uh, controller. It was, it was. I've, I've talked about being happy that device is no longer giving people first impressions of VR. And we know Meta wants to get back to lower prices, right? They, there's, uh, it, there's a feature set that they've arrived at with the original Quest. They've honed with Quest 2 by even putting a bigger, you know, a faster chip inside, uh, making it a little bit lighter that they want to keep pushing with future devices and meta executives talk about employing hand tracking. They can't move purely to hand tracking overnight without having clear options for adding the controllers for both developers and for users. You would lose an incredible branding opportunity. Like it just it would be a bad idea to ship a headset overnight without controllers. And Bosworth even went on the record, Andrew Bosworth CTO went on the record confirming that there are going to be controllers shipping with Cambria Quest Pro. Uh, Controllers are essential to the VR experience right now, but that won't always be the case as we move towards larger and larger groups of people trying to get access to the headsets. Are we going to see a refresh near-term Heaney to Quest 2, or are we going to move on uh, after, after we get Cambria out and after we see Quest 
Pro are we going to see? That's when we're going to see the low end evolve. Yeah, no, I, I I strongly believe based on all the evidence that Quest Two is not going to be replaced this holiday season. Uh, we've seen Carmack has referred to Quest Pro as being sold alongside Quest Two. We've seen the internal meta memo that was leaked recently says in hardware we are laser focused on the release of Cambria Quest Pro this year, uh, and also the fact that. It doesn't make sense. If they're going to release a product that has these features, they can't somehow magically bring a product that is above $800 down to the $300 range all in one go. What what the information claimed in their recent report uh, back in May, based on they claimed to have seen a, a meta roadmap of their hardware, is that meta's plan is to do kind of intermittent years where you have the new Quest Pro one year, then the new Quest the next year. And then kind of continuously over time, you have a two-year cycle where these things are just kind of refreshed uh, uh, like clockwork. So you get you first get the new features and the kind of new technology introduced at a high price in the Quest Pro line. And then the next year, you get some of those features trickle down into the lower cost main quest line and so based on that if that's the case we would expect to see quest 3 coming around holiday 2023 around a year after cambria and we would expect quest 3 to have some of the features of quest pro but not all of them uh there's an interesting comment from artful here uh suggesting maybe the quest pro controllers that ship at launch aren't the ones that track themselves what do you think of that theory heaney I, I see no evidence for that. The, you know, we have the we have the teaser here that's presented of showing the the controllers without the tracking rings. We know that the cameras on this headset Quest Pro are more optimized to get a higher quality view of in front of you, whereas the Quest Two cameras are designed more to have a lower quality but much wider volume view. And that's chosen because it means that when you're tracking these controllers with their infrared LED rings, you can see them in a much wider area. But since Quest Pro has these controllers without the tracking rings, it doesn't have to focus on making sure the cameras can see as wide as possible. And instead, they can focus on getting a depth sensor that looks forward and a high-resolution color camera. So... We also know from some of the leaks last year that this thing is going to have a dock where instead of, you know, uh, using AA batteries, the headset and the controllers together slot into a dock and charge so they're ready to go at any time. So I just, I mean, my answer is I see absolutely no evidence that they would ship a different controller with this. Why would they? This is the product they've shown. Yeah. So let's move on to this last subject here because it's uh, fairly related in my mind. Um, Quest 2. And future Meta headsets will no longer require a Facebook account starting in August of 2022. Uh, sorry, is there a comment you want to go to, Heaney, before we move on? Because I, I, there's a lot of discussion here I want to get into. Yeah, no, I, I get you. I just wanted to respond kind of to Andrew Tech's interesting question. It's one we covered in the weeks before, but I think it is the main question here, which is, you know, Andrew asks, if someone has a Quest Pro, would the next year's non-Pro Quest have any features that would be better than the prior year's Quest Pro, for instance, CPU? That is a fascinating question and one that we will only find out when we find out what CPU, what processor is in this thing. What we do have evidence for is that this thing will have double the RAM of Quest 2, so it will be much more capable of multitasking. But if you do have a year that advances, it's possible that because of the natural progressions in Qualcomm's processors, the Quest 3 could have a more powerful processor. Although we have seen some leaks that suggest this thing, Quest Pro, will have 
two cooling fans or at the very least a more powerful cooling fan so there could be some ways in which the quest 3 is better and some ways in which the quest pro is better but what i would reiterate from when i'm always asked this is that it's extremely unlikely that the quest 3 is going to be outright better than the quest pro because you can't go even in a year you can't get a product that is a quarter of the price and completely better it just doesn't work like that you can get lower price or better but not both in a complete net way at once yeah, Andrew is asking the most fundamental question there, and I I do want to come back to that question or that or that that core question here because we are on top of this. We are trying to answer that question. We don't know the answer, but we're on it and trying to figure out uh, what's going to be there uh, before everyone else. So, the Facebook account the, the is going away, right? Back in 2020, Facebook instituted this policy that Quest 2 headsets are going to require you to sign up and use it with a Facebook account. This was moving on from their original Oculus user accounts. And uh, now here we are, August of 2022. Uh, Very soon, they're going to remove that requirement and institute meta accounts, which are essentially an evolution of what the Oculus accounts were back before they instituted this this, policy. two-year-long efforts to get people to use Facebook in VR. I just listened to this podcast between Andrew Bosworth and Mark Rabkin. These are the two highest executives in charge of virtual reality over there at Meta. We've had people in our audience who... You know, they, they want to check in and make sure we're not just like a pro-meta company. We're just stooges for that company talking about what they want all the time. And we are not. They're just investing at an extraordinary scale and have multiple headsets out in one year. So they're constantly making news. Even if you hate Meta or you hate Facebook or you don't want to buy their headsets, you kind of need to listen to them closely to understand where they're going and what they're planning. And if you go and listen to this podcast, the writing is on the wall about a lot of their next moves. So these are the two highest people inside Meta tasked by Mark Zuckerberg with realizing his vision for virtual reality in the metaverse. And they're talking about how they're going to increase the rate of adoption over time. We don't hear that sort of focus coming out of any other company, right? Like, we know that Google and Amazon and Apple are all interested in these technologies, but we don't hear executives at those companies say in those plain of terms exactly what they're aiming to do with virtual reality. And I think that you're going to have to listen to these people speak to really grasp where they're going Heaney, have you had a chance to listen to that podcast yet yeah i listened to some of it it's interesting definitely how they justify the facebook requirement by saying that the problem that they were facing was that people were just not actually using the social features of vr and you know we know that one of the most magical parts of vr is multiplayer if you've only ever tried if you're a person that's only ever tried single player vr you really haven't seen the full potential because there is something so different about standing across from your teammate in VR and seeing their mouth move and being able to make you know rudimentary 
eye contact or at least face contact and kind of actually being able to point in the same coordinate space versus when you're playing a traditional game and you just hear someone's voice in your headset and you're seeing a little character run along on a screen. So they were saying, you know, almost no one was adding a friend. They wanted to make a the platform most social, bring in your Facebook friends, make it much easier for people to group together. This is their claimed justification. And then over time they realized, you know, this isn't really what people want. People want to have a completely separate profile in VR than what they have on social media. And that's how you get to what we have announced now, what, what Meta has announced now, that next month, the requirement to use a Facebook account with a Meta headset will go away. You'll be able to purchase a Quest 2, set it up with a Meta account that is like a traditional account system, and you will not have to tie it to your Facebook social media profile. And I've seen two main responses from people about this. The one response is, well, that doesn't really change anything. I'm, I'm, oh, you've just gone from requiring a Facebook account to a Meta account, but they're from the same company. And another response from people is, oh, this is fantastic because I know I no longer have to have my social media profile tied to my virtual reality. And I think both of those are very valid. If you're someone who your problem with requiring a Facebook account was simply that you did not want the Meta, the company, Facebook, the company to have your data in any sense or to have kind of be registered to them and your your ideal would be to buy this thing and somehow not have an account at all and just use SideQuest, then this doesn't change anything for you. But if your objection to the Facebook requirement was that it was tied to your social media profile. So if you get banned on Facebook, your headset becomes a brick. And you know if you want to quit Facebook, you can't because if you quit Facebook, your headset would then become a brick. Then this is the biggest change in the world for you. This means that you can actually practically really buy a meta headset now. So those are really the two camps people are in, and both of them have a valid point based on what they want out of this. Yeah, and uh, but I'm going to say I'm sort of like in between on some of these extremes. Like my my history and use of Facebook is, uh, I nuked an old account, right? Like at, at some point, I was uh, no longer happy with all my posts from my earliest days of using Facebook, and I just deleted the whole account and started fresh uh, over there on Facebook with a new account. And I'm seeing people in our comments asking specifically when in August uh, is this going to happen? Because I have every intention of nuking my uh, Facebook account from orbit again, uh, as soon as this actually runs through again and just operating with my, with my meta account going forward. Uh, you know, among the things that happened with that Facebook integration, uh, I went and tried to show off, uh, 11 table tennis to family members who love table tennis. And I set up two quests uh, in their table tennis room that they had converted their garage into a table tennis room. And I had two quests in there with 11 table tennis uh, ready to play and demonstrate this is what virtual reality table tennis is all about. And one of us clicked the live stream to Facebook button uh, on the other headset and started streaming live uh, our 11 table tennis match without even meaning to it was like their first or second time using the headset <laughs> uh, because that button was right there uh, in the main menu and it was you know that was the abs- I, there was no way I wanted to share that experience with anyone except just family hanging around uh, in a garage but because Facebook had to like learn the hard way nobody wants this feature they had to slowly not just strip out that feature but go all the way to the account level and disconnect the whole system. 
um, at least at least mentally for people. Uh, to to your point, uh, behind the scenes, it's still the same company, right? Uh, uh, Rashad Lawson is asking, will you be able to unlink the Facebook account from Quest Two? Yes, in August when this change applies. When you create your Meta account, you'll be able to unlink your Facebook account. To be clear, you can still optionally link your Facebook account to your Quest 2. What it means is that you then get Facebook Messenger inside VR, so you can take calls and reply to messages from the Quest system menu. If you want to do that, you can still do that, but now it becomes optional. You just sit, you click unlink Facebook, and your Facebook account is gone from your Quest. So that's the change there. And uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how this is received by the kind of wider tech community, because obviously this is, of all the unpopular decisions Facebook has made with VR, and there are a lot, this was by far the most unpopular. But, it, you know, it's strange to see that Quest 2 was actually so successful despite this, because this was so heavily protested. But it, I think that does kind of go to show just how different the general public's buying habits can be from the journalist class, tech media kind of opinion bubble of how these tech products work vex is saying if they brought in an alternative login uh earlier you might have got into vr uh hang on the comment once it passed oh you sold your vr because of that requirement well uh hopefully you can get either you know a meta headset or a different company's headset in the future and come back in now that that's no longer a thing as we talked about before pico will be launching in the united states soon although obviously you know, if your objection to Meta is data collection, Pico is really not going to be any much better, given that it's owned by ByteDance. Yeah, and uh, Tarun making this comment that the friend model changes are also significant. So let me explain this one for for people that uh, aren't caught up. Back when they had the original Oculus ID, you could friend people using your Oculus account. And my Oculus ID is HMLTN. It's the same as it was on Twitter. And I remember when I went and set up that original Oculus ID, thinking about how I'm going to use this. Am I going to use this where I'm adding everyone? Or am I going to use this where like, I'm going to only add my friends? The writing was obviously on the wall that Facebook owns Oculus. They're probably going to push friends. But it has been confusing from a user perspective how exactly... Do I do this? And if you go listen to that podcast, the execs over there at Meta were saying that on average, Oculus ID users had 0.5 friends. And the median number, the largest number, the single largest number of friends that people on Oculus had was zero. And they also over there at Meta said they had data that indicated that people who had more friends spent more time in VR and bought more things. So they had every reason to go and push Facebook accounts because that meant more friends and everything there that they wanted out of the headset. And then they had to learn very painfully that nobody really wanted that forced upon them. What's this question here? We've got a donation here. Asking yeah, so thank question. you very much to Thoro for donating your $5. And you've just pointed out something that is absolutely true that you've been able to actually ask Oculus support for quite a few months to unlink your Facebook by just asking. So you haven't had yours linked since February. I think though that is kind of on a case by case basis where you have to contact support and go through a certain process. So slightly different than this. And unless I'm mistaken, that does remove some of the social features, which now from August, you will still be able to have those social features without having Facebook linked. So I'm going to read off this quote here from Andrew Bosworth in this podcast. 
where he says, quote, we're sitting here as a part of some of the great social networks that exist on the planet with Facebook, with Instagram, with WhatsApp, with Messenger. Can we bring these things together? And then we said, okay, this is no problem. Let's do the Facebook account thing. We have a new headset coming out. That was the Quest 2 at the time. And new account requirement. And the motivation was certainly right. And it kind of stands today. But it ended up being the case, not only did some people feel uncomfortable with that, which obviously, you know, we don't feel great about. I think they were informed. I think they understood it. I think they knew that if they opted out of it is a loss of the ecosystems. It's a loss of ours, but I understand it. But it also turns out the graph that you built on Facebook may not be the graph that you really want for the metaverse a different identity, different profile, different set of activities that you're doing. This single quote from Bosworth packs in so much about Meta's strategy, their thinking. Uh, you know, he's apologizing, you know, saying that they don't feel great about making people, you know, people telling them that they didn't want this, but this is still their path ahead. The, the thing that I take away from that quote, Heaney, is Meta is in a place now where they are really listening to their users. And it may, you know, Mark Rabkin, the head of VR, follows this quote by saying, it may take us a year to a year and a half to respond to the things that you want. And, but we're, we're, we're trying. We're, we're, we're going to try to respond to people. Whereas they're basically owning the idea that for the first 10 years or eight years of their efforts here in VR, they're just guessing as to what people wanted and trying to provide structure even. They even explained that because they're in the dark, they're trying to play it safe and provide structure on some of these things. But now they're realizing where they actually need to start with user requests and, and listen to people in a way that they didn't before. My takeaway there from that conversation, Heaney, is that they're willing to change direction quickly when needed. and. While we all might be frustrated that they went from Oculus to Facebook to Meta so quickly, at the end of the day, they did arrive at the place people really wanted them to arrive at, right? Yeah, so I guess you can look at it like that, but it did take a lot of customer frustration and a lot of widespread kind of negative press to get there. And from the way Zuckerberg presented it at Connect, it sounds like this may be more of a wider effort to try and get workplaces to adopt this technology and to get organizations where a Facebook profile, you know, just isn't practical as a requirement, than really something that was taken out of a pro-consumer venture. And, you know, as to, as to that point about they're just guessing, that is an interesting way to look at it in that, you know, the people who actually founded Oculus and all of the original people are no longer there at, at Meta anymore. They left years ago. Those are the people who had the vision of what VR could and should be. And, you know, there are two ways to approach a new technology like this. You either have the visionaries that build what they kind of can see the people want, which was always the kind of Steve Jobsian's approach, the Palmer Lucky style approach, or you have the very kind of corporate data-driven respond and, you know, to what people are doing and look at the data and then see what do people actually play and then drive in that direction that you get from the current meta executives. And those are two very, very different approaches. And there are advantages and disadvantages to both. 
But the problem is if you're always playing response, you're always saying, you're kind of lurching in one direction and seeing if people like it. And then if they don't like it, lurch back in another direction. There's going to be a space for the companies that are run by kind of product-driven visionary people that can see what that end vision is and build towards it and then not have to do all that correction in the middle. Because there's been so much of that correction in Facebook's history going from, you know, Oculus Go with its lack of positional tracking and laser pointer, then all, all the way across to Quest and Rift S, and then, oh, actually throw Rift S out the, out the corner and go for Oculus Link to get PC VR. It's taken so long to actually settle on the Quest-only model that we've just come to with Quest 2 that you know, I feel like there was a lot of wasted time there that if, instead of trying to experiment and respond, they just had a clear vision of what they really wanted VR to get to in the end and chased after that. The industry and, and meta in general would probably be a lot further along. That's really, really interesting commentary there. It's I, I remember John Gruber, Daring Fireball, talking about the idea that Apple had taste back in the era of Steve Jobs and their design was all driven by just the sense of taste, right? Like they're able to make smart decisions about what people would actually want and invite in their Jobs. lives. Famous yeah. insult to Bill Gates, you, you know, Microsoft just doesn't have taste. Yeah. So, and then you've got this very different approach at Meta where they do base all their decisions on data, or at least they try to base a lot of their decisions on data. And I don't know, you can use data present things in different ways sometimes. I want to go back to some of these interesting questions we've had throughout this show and the things that we're trying to answer uh, where I, I put this question directly to Mark Zuckerberg about whether all future headsets at Meta will have eye tracking. And that goes to that question earlier in our show about what things in Quest Pro do we expect to come down to Quest 3 or the next low-end headset? And if you go and listen to this podcast from Bosworth and Rabkin, you will see them talking about some of these specific things that they're seeing take off for Quest usage. They went and bought Supernatural, one of the leading fitness experiences, and they're very aware that people are owning and uh, really taking to sweating their heads off inside VR headsets. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to lean into fitness-focused gear in successive generations of their low-end headset, right? We know that they need to obviously make it slimmer and more comfortable to wear all day, but it would be surprising to me to see them not incorporate the fact that people are actually working out in VR into their product plan. So that's one of those things to think about. Which is more important to the next generation of Quest 3? Making it so that you can sweat your head off inside of it and not break the hardware or adding eye tracking and increasing the price a little bit. Those are the types of things that they're going to be weighing as they move forward. Well, we actually heard Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg was actually asked what is his key priority on the future hardware by Lex Friedman in, in that very illuminating interview. 
arguably the best interview of Mark Zuckerberg that anyone has ever conducted. And I would really recommend if anyone listening hasn't heard this to go and watch at some point the Lex Fridman interview of Mark Zuckerberg. But he was asked for his priorities and he said very clearly that he will prioritize putting in eye tracking and face tracking over making a headset slimmer or lighter. And the reason for that is that, you know, he says meta Facebook is the social connection company. To get a real social connection in VR, you need eye contact. You need to be able to see facial expressions. And so I would heavily expect Quest 3 to prioritize those features based on what Zuckerberg has said. Because, you know, as we know, and as we said many times in this show, Zuckerberg is, is not like Tim Cook. He's not just a CEO that answers to a board that can be kind of removed. Zuckerberg is the CEO, the chairman, and the controlling stake owner. He and essentially owns Facebook and can make unilateral decisions. So, sorry, owns Meta and can make unilateral decisions. So I would expect that that's what we will see. But, you know, it'll still be useful for fitness. If people are accepting using fitness with a 500-gram box on their face today, which is Quest 2, I don't see why they wouldn't accept a box that is slightly slimmer and, and lighter that we I may mean, probably expect from Quest 3. I mean, you're you're right there. It's just... They just canceled their wristband, uh, their, their first watch, in favor of their neural uh, interface, neural wristband interface, because there was some interfa- interference in the sensors. Like, I don't adding more sensors to the headset just adds more risk that the various ways you're going to use this headset are going to scuff up the sensors and. Yeah, you're right, Heaney. Like, just price needs to be driven down at the same time that they want to, to add more sensors. So you've got this very though. That's why I put that question to Zuckerberg, and he no commented his way out of it. Uh, speaking about eye tracking specifically, I don't. I'm not convinced they can pack in more sensors and also lower price. Like, I don't. Well, I don't. They see don't how have they to do. lower the price. They just have to keep it at the same price. They just mm. have to keep it at three hundred dollars. There's no. They don't need to, as long as they're including controllers, get below that yet. Yes, that's their long term aspiration, but that doesn't need to happen in Quest Three. There's plenty yeah. of future products down the line that that can happen in. Um, and even if they were to increase it slightly, even if you were to get a, a product that, that launched at four hundred dollars, if it has those features, Zuckerberg clearly sees eye tracking and face tracking as a minimum viable feature for vr and the only reason it isn't in quest 2 already is because it just wasn't ready as a technology to be put in at anything like a reasonable cost but you know we've seen it in the pico neo pro i we see other headsets now starting to launch with this you know there's smartphones that are at a low price that have plenty of sensors that have you know when you include all of the different cameras in the back and on the front you know there's smartphones that are even 150 200 that have these and you know your point about sweat the smartphone industry in the past five years has built up a lot of expertise in making things dust and water resistant and you're getting these kind of IP67 and 68 ratings. That's something that Meta, I don't think we'll have a huge problem with given that these are kind of designed and, and manufactured in much the same way smartphones are. Mm, interesting ideas. They're really a balanced view of, of where they're going to be going next. I appreciate that context there, Heaney. Any, resp- any comments there that we should get into before we close out our show this week so i'm just looking at gravity comment here they're saying that they think quest 3 will have eye and face tracking and pancake lenses and they think the money will be saved by cutting color pass through the depth sensor and not having the improved controllers so i i suspect that pancake lenses are a lot more expensive than 
color pass through the in the sense of putting it into a product like this i i would be i wonder if we'll see quest 3 use the traditional fresnel architecture although maybe if cambria and the other products using fresnel get it to a high enough scale that won't be an issue it just seems that what you're describing there is far too close to cambria if it's just cambria without the color sensor and depth sensor and the controllers cambria why is cambria significantly higher than eight hundred dollars you know, it's like there's this huge, huge gulf between that kind of price range and what we're seeing at $300. And I don't think you can get all of those things in. And just based on what Zuckerberg said, I think that eye and face tracking is going to be that big priority by far. And yeah, as Fuller is saying, I think it's very unlikely the Quest 3 would still have black and white pass-through, given how you know, mixed reality is just such a focus. Even if the pass-through isn't as good as Quest Pro, and it definitely won't have a depth sensor, I, you know, I, I would bet a huge amount of money the quest 3 is not going to have a depth sensor but even if the pass-through is not as high quality it needs to be at least color for it to be a practical experience because i'm sure anyone who's tried using the black and white pass-through on quest 3 kind of test it's just not something you would actually want to use for extended periods of time other than just being like oh this is a cool gimmick the only thing i guess i'll throw into that discussion is prescription correction uh over time right i i wonder about this idea of purchasing a headset and having those prescription lenses being added on before they actually get shipped out or perhaps having some kind of uh you know digital way to manage that for every single headset owner we know that they've been working on those optics problems over there in the research division at meta but that's another you know that's just another issue that a lot of people go and buy aftermarket products for to to solve on current headsets uh, that should be part of the buying experience, shouldn't it, Heaney? And I think about that shorter term as a bigger win than some of these other sensors as well. Yeah, over time, that's definitely going to be important because when you get to these smaller and smaller headsets, wearing your glasses in them just is impractical. But the the nice thing about uh, pancake lenses is that, is that you at least have that option of diopter adjustment like what we've seen in the Vive Flow. And so you do get at least a, a basic ability to correct for vision problems. But yeah, over time, it is going to need to be something that's personalizable. Uh, and that's why, you know, we would expect that in the long term, Meta may want to expand its, its retail experiment that it's running right now, where it has one little retail store. It may want to bring that to a wider area so you can actually go in and get the prescription that you need without having to do that over the internet. I've got a I've got a question from Andrew here. I'm trying to find it in our videos. Would you be able to find the Horizon Worlds video over in our videos tab, Heaney? Um, so they were asking about my experience of creating a video in Horizon Worlds, and it was an interesting, very very interesting thing here, Heaney, compared to what we have in our studio. So Meta offered to show me around one of their Horizon Worlds that they had basically partnered with a creator in Horizon to make to promote the movie Nope from Jordan Peele. And they took me on this tour. They started a Zoom call, basically, where they could give me tech advice in case I needed it. Obviously, I've had a little bit of experience going to VR before. Didn't really need that Zoom call. Put on the headset, went in Horizon Worlds, met up with the creator, and then the creator walked with me through multiple worlds that they had created in Horizon Worlds. And one of the worlds was basically from the movie Nope. They had created this ranch scene as well as various things you've seen in the trailer from this world. And at the end of this tour, through the various spots, 
they had me go and walk in front of the house at the center of this world and said, oh, you can do an interview here. And we've got cameras set up to record it. And I had no idea where the cameras were. There were no cameras provided in my view. But I sit here with the creator as well as a Meta representative. And Meta basically had four in-world cameras all pointed at a different member. So we had one camera pointed at the view of all three of us, one camera pointed at the Meta employee, one camera pointed at the creator, and one at me. And I dropped these four cameras into a video editing program, synced it up into a multi-cam view, and then edited it from there. The video is actually really dark. I don't know why it was like provided dark to begin with from Horizon Worlds. And they said that the they world, had artificially... It? It's a horror sorry, movie. What was it? Isn't that just what the world is designed to be like? It's a horror movie, no? Well, yeah, they actually said they brightened it up quite a bit from the way it is normally. And so I haven't gone in there since this Horizon World has launched to see how dark it is in production settings. But they showed me through some of these features, like they have this cloud there and the cloud tossed me up into the sky when I looked at it. It made me a little queasy. I saw a commenter say they went into the world live and that function wasn't working. So if you go and check this Horizon world out, the Nope world, let us know whether the cloud launches you into the sky or not. And then they also had this motorcycle that you could drive around. And I talked to this creator about how they are able to bundle together scripts and shapes and then pass along that, that bundle into an asset library. And everything they build, like people look at this and see a very simple world and think, you know, why does this looks like The Sims or Second Life? And this looks comparatively not complex to their eyes. But it's actually, you know, I very distinctly remember the moment riding around on that motorcycle. And I remember getting tossed into the sky. And it was weird in talking to these people in the interview. I, I took the same avatar that we use here in the studio into this Nope world. And because of simply using that avatar, this had the feeling, Heaney, of going to an on-site interview and recording an on-site setup, you know, from my earliest days in journalism, right? Like I, one of my first internships was going to locations where news is happening and standing in front of the camera recording something and sending it for like online use. This was very, very similar to that. And because Meta provided these four camera views, it was fairly easy to do. Rec Room also has virtual cameras you can use. And we've recorded things in Rec Room over the years. There's even a version of our podcast pre uh, this studio, Heaney, where we tried to do it in Rec Room. But these tools need to get easier. And the fact that Meta provided this provided like a more watchable video at the end than I would have been able to produce if it had just been my own view of this world. This was a really, really interesting experience. But I asked them if they were going to provide these multi-camera tools to consumers, and I don't have an answer to that yet. As far as I'm aware, what they're doing here is you just have your four desktop clients. These are actually just individual PCs that are put as invisible users that are in non-VR mode that are just positioned stationary. So that's not something you can really like scale to multiple users. They would need to have some kind of server-side headless client that's recording in here. It's, it's From a technical perspective, that's a lot harder than it sounds. And, you know, the approach that we use here is a, is a lot different where, you know, you have one PC and it switches between the cameras. It's not like multiple cameras at once. 
though that you know we can do that for recording but that takes you know it's quite taxing i i would really hope that you get these kind of virtual high quality cameras over time that would make it a lot more practical and open up the ability to make shows like that we're, what we're doing and a lot of other kind of formats but it doesn't sound like it's something that's going to happen anytime soon yeah, uh, there have been some really interesting attempts over the years to do things like what we're doing, Heaney. But the the beauty of our system is we just put on the headset uh, three minutes before we're needing to go live, uh, and we're ready to go. We've got a full broadcast studio um, ready to broadcast to the internet. And but it's it's still really cool to see these tools sort of get better for recording in world and. Uh, that was if you go to listen to that podcast uh, between the two meta executives, uh, Boz to the Future is what they call that podcast. Uh, they talk about going full circle with social media, where you could have a fully virtual cell phone or tablet, and then you're you're basically updating across both the real world and virtual worlds from your virtual device uh, into sort of. That they talked about the fact, the idea that stuff we do in virtual reality sort of ends up getting broadcast outside of virtual reality via social media, and that was a like a fascinating long term vision. They they really have a, a very smart long term view of of how these things are all going to coalesce over time. Yeah, and as I've said before, I think that's where. Pico with their bike dance ownership have such a huge potential here because, you know, as I'm sure people are aware, bike dance owns TikTok. It's the Chinese tech giant that owns TikTok. So there's a big potential here that Pico's devices quite soon will be able to stream directly to TikTok. And if that's the case, you can imagine the integration there where you can go from adding these kind of TikTok uh, filters and overlays directly to your footage, and then people can instantly kind of purchase the headset from within TikTok. And that's something that, you know, we've seen a little bit of meta doing that with Facebook and Instagram, but they really haven't capitalized that on that anywhere near as much as they could have. And as Ian mentioned earlier, they've actually removed the Facebook live streaming feature. So I suspect we'll see ByteDance really, really kind of focus in on those uh, features. Uh, on Akazi, I think there the comment disappeared, but was saying, you know, Fusho did something interesting about this. And that, I remember the Fusho, what they were actually doing was, Instead of video capture, they had scene capture. So, you know, something we could conceivably do here if we had the time and resources where instead of capturing a video, you kind of record the audio of each avatar and their movements throughout the whole show. And then someone can come in in VR and run the same application and play back your episode in complete you know, sixed off, you have complete positional tracking because you're in the exact same rendered environment. It's just that instead of getting the real-time movements of each avatar, you're getting a recorded movement. And that was something that was really interesting to Fusho, but there are a lot of technical challenges to doing that right. And that's why it never really was able to produce at the the pace and scale that they wanted to, to be able to make a real practical show out of it. Yeah. And yeah, that's, and this is, what's so amazing about our, our show. I love your studio. I love the fact that we come in here every week and keep seeing these new things, but we can't bring outside 3d objects in here and we can't uh, do a variety of things that, you know, it's too hard to pull off right now on a regular basis. And, you know, that's why those cameras was such a cool thing to see. Uh, but yeah, there have been plenty of camera efforts over the years. It's just, it's got to be platform level features and available everywhere for it to, to really become usable. Uh, 
any last comments there? Are we ready to wrap this up? I think we're ready to wrap this up. My headset is covered in sweat. It is touching <laughs> it in the front. Actually, is it uncomfortable to touch? I don't I actually think it would burn my finger if I were to touch it for more than a few seconds. And uh, I feel like I'm going to definitely need a shower after this. This is the warmest I've been in quite a while. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to leave off this show by saying that my introduction to this show uh, is going to change uh, <laughs> within a couple of weeks' time as Heaney and I are set to meet one another on a trip to Vancouver. So we're going to go to Seagraph. That's the computer graphics conference. Heaney's never been. I've been there a couple times. Uh, plan to let him uh, spend his time at Seagraph uh, however he wants uh, because I'm going to go for the emerging technologies and just spend all my time in there. And Heaney can you know, maybe get lost inside of sessions if he wants. But that computer graphics conference, we're going to see the future of a lot of ideas in VR and AR, and I'm, I'm pretty excited to meet Heaney for the first time and confirm yep. that he is not an artificial intelligence. <laughs> the last comment I do want to bring up here is from uh, Rolizzle, I believe. Uh, sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong there. And they're just pointing out that, that VR chat actually has an incredible array of camera features that you can do because of the fact that it has, you know, this desktop 2d app that you can use so yeah that you know if you have a, a computer that you can set up and use in this sense from vr chat you can produce some excellent stuff but the potential promise that we're looking for in the long term is that someone with a completely standalone headset without a pc could eventually record from com- entirely virtual cameras within these worlds and you know i've I talked just briefly there about how technically difficult that would be for these companies to pull off but once they can that's where we really see VR content creation become democratized and we can see amazing things from people that don't have the hardware to produce it today. That is a wonderful comment. And as an example of what can be done in VR chat camera capture, we met in virtual reality premieres on HBO Max this month. So if you have an HBO account, you can see what a movie looks like documentary style captured completely inside virtual worlds vr chat virtual worlds it's a very very interesting example of virtual content capture so yeah thank you so much for joining us this week we will be back next tuesday at 10 a.m pacific unless heaney or i are so sick we cannot even think about looking at a computer thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you in the future thanks everyone again for joining us we'll see you next week I'm so warm. (laughs) I'm going to rip this headset right off.